You're listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Terry Riley from our sermon series, The Beatitudes, Jesus' Talk on the Hill. For more info, please visit our website, creekside.org. Good morning. Sometimes it's important just to make a grand entrance. (laughs) Can I catch my breath? (laughs) They say don't run in church, but sometimes you have to. Um, I have a friend, his name is Gary Emery. Many of you have met him, heard him, and he always used to say this. He said, there's no easy way to pull the pin on a grenade. And I always love that because uh, ministry and life um, always has those moments. And uh, this one is not uh, a destructive moment. It's just a surprising moment. And uh, God's uh, doing some things at Creekside and things coming down the road. And um, one of those we're going to talk about today and... um, uh, I love this family, the Warfords. I love Dustin and Steph. And uh, I come in this morning, and on the whiteboard, there's a little note from Aurora. It says, hi, PT. I hope you know that I love you. And uh, I thought, well, how sweet. She goes, oh, by the way, this is who you think it is. It's Aurora. So I wrote her a note back. And it was just really uh, a sweet, sweet thing. I wish she would write those. I know it. Yeah, well, <laughs> she probably will start doing that now. But uh, I, today we're, we're here to announce that uh, uh, something Dustin came to me about a year and a half ago. And he said, you know, PT, I kind of, I just kind of feel this movement in my spirit that, you know, I want to become a senior pastor. I want to take your job. And uh, he, no, he didn't say that, but um, he, he said, you know what I want to do? I, wanna, I, I really want to start moving toward that. And I said, okay, uh, we will we'll do that. And we've always kind of been working toward that uh, the last few years. And uh, so the opportunity has come. And uh, I, I just, I, I want to say this before he kind of goes into his story that uh, I'm just so proud of where he's come. Uh, you know, he grew up in this church. He's been here all of his life, literally. And, um, and it, it's been fun for me to have a courtside seat to his growth. And um, he has some uh, unique skill sets. And I, I, I can't, I, I'm, I'm really saddened by the fact that they're leaving but I'm really excited for them and the opportunity that they have. So I'm going to invite my friend here to go ahead and share uh, your thoughts and the process. Yeah, so um, I think it was five or six weeks ago, somewhere around there, that, um, I got an email from the district, and all the licensed pastors get emails when, uh, when a position opens up somewhere. So I literally get these emails all the time. And I read every one of them, never with the intent of, I'm going to look and like, oh, this church is open. Should I pastor here? I, I always read them just kind of a, oh, I wonder if I know that pastor. Oh, this is, uh, what's happening in this church? It's always more of a curiosity thing is reading them. But when we read this one, I opened it up and I read it, and it was the very first time I ever read one twice. It, it just kind of pulled this, this tug on my heart. It was, it was the first time I literally looked at it and went, huh, 
You know, what, what if? And maybe this will be better. Is that better? There we go. So it was, uh, it was the first time I ever read one. I just felt this tug, like, look at it again and go, oh, what, what if? Why, why is this on my heart? So I talked to Stephanie about it and we prayed about it. Four or five days went by, and there was still just this tug to ask about this church. And so then I remember coming into your office and uh, sitting down with you, and, and we talked about it. And our conversation was a really, really good one, you know, about my future. And I remember you telling me that when this email came out that you also thought of me when you read this church. And I was like, all right, well, I guess that's the confirmation, God, that two of us are thinking about it now. And so we prayed about it a lot, and through this process, I decided to call uh, Chris Hansler, who's the regional director for the churches here, and just called uh, previous pastors of the church. And I started doing my own just inquiries on the church. And every conversation I had, I, I asked God, I was like, all right, God, really make this clear. This is something you want me to do or, uh, or freak me out and make me say no. <laughs> Show me some sort of sign that I should not look at this anymore. And after every conversation, it just kept, the door just kept getting bigger and bigger. And God kept pulling my heart in this direction. And uh, so we we started the process and put our application in. Um, about four weeks ago, we went up and spied on the church. And our prayer was the same thing. Like, all right, God, when we walk on this campus, we didn't go to talk to anybody about it. It was just, all right, we're going to walk on campus, God, and give us vision and give us passion and excitement or freak us out. Let us leave the church saying, no way, we are not going here. Like, this is, this is not happening. But the minute we walked on campus, we just started thinking, wow, look at what we can do here. Look at the community here. Look at the school down the street. Just, we got so excited for this church. Yeah. And so we... Uh, our application was in, and um, interviews and conversations and visits later, um, they've offered me the position to be their senior pastor. Yeah. And so that's where How we're exciting. at. How exciting. So he has one more step, though. He has to fly up there next week, him and the family. And uh, he has to preach and then get voted on. So I said, just don't puke on yourself, and you'll probably <laughs> be all right. Because I remember it was... Uh, uh, 29 years ago in a couple of months that uh, I, I got to do that here. And it is a, a difficult, difficult thing to do. Um, but I know Dusty will do great. And I am just really so excited for the family. Um, what, what's your time frame? What are you looking at? People are going to want to know uh, how long you're going to be here. And So if I get voted on the 22nd, I'm not flying home. I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's not the case. So um, when go. I fly up there, if, <laughs> if, they, if they vote, yes. Then um, I told them I didn't want to move at Christmas in December. Uh, it would just be, you know, really hard and, and stressful to try and move during the holidays. And then we've talked about timeline and getting things to go here. So if all goes according to plan, we're looking at end of January, beginning of February, around that time frame. So you're not rid of me so fast. I'll be here for a couple more months. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're so thrilled about that. Uh, biggest fear? Um, there were a couple of them that mm -hmm. I've shared with you. Uh, one, I've never lived away from my family before. Hmm. Um, the furthest I've ever been away is an hour when I was in Sacramento for college. And my whole family lives between Fairfield and Walnut Creek. We're all, and there's, if you know me, you know, there's 15 kids and we're, we're, we're all close. Yeah. So my whole family is here. So moving up there is scary. And the other one I shared with you is, uh, man, if, if, I, if I go up there, um, having the, the weight of a church on me is scary. Yeah. <laughs> you know, knowing that um, I know God's involved, but ultimately I know I'm, I'm a big part of that. So it's a pressure I've never felt before and something yeah. that's scary, but I know that God's put it on my heart and uh, he hasn't scared me out of this part yet. So Good. 
Good, good, good. It, yeah, that's a big deal, even family, but it's, it's such an important thing. I, I tell people when, you know, I've told a couple of people when they've asked, I think that'll be one of your greatest points of growth because now it's going to be you and your bride and Jesus. Mm-hmm. You don't have the family to kind of pump you up or, I mean, they can, but it's different when they're 600, 800 miles away. Yeah, not and a 20 minute drive it's anymore. It's not a 20 minute drive where they can run over and kind of, you know, uh, let's say, shall we say coddle? You, you, you get to lean into Jesus. And this is, I'm so excited for you guys. I really am. And it's a good church. Um, like I said, like you said, when we were talking, when, when you came to me, I'd already felt the Lord kind of just nudge and say, this would be good for Dustin. And um, so, well, let's, uh, let's, let's pray over them. And hey, Steph, why don't you come on up and um, that's Stephanie's biggest fear. What's that? Coming up on stage right now. Oh, is that right? Well, good. There you go. <laughs> She's probably going to have to get used to it a little bit. But I just want to pray over these guys. We're, you know, we're going we're gonna to make some plans and you know, just stay tuned and everything. Um, <clears throat> that'll be coming down the road. But we felt like for the sake of time, we kind of needed to get out in front of it and uh, you know, let you all know what's coming. And uh, uh, this will give you plenty of time to celebrate them uh, besides as we do something for them, but for you personally to just bless them and uh, be a part of their process. Stephanie, you want to say anything? Okay. okay. <laughs> I just, uh, I don't want anyone to think I'm some kind of chauvinist or something or... <laughs> Um, don't give the girls a chance, but, uh, this is a great couple. Uh, they will be, uh, um, the, the, probably the greatest words that were ever spoke. Some of the greatest words that were ever spoken to me is when I left Lodi, they said, you'll be missed. And I want you to know that you'll be missed. And, um, but let's, let's, let's save that for two months from now or so. Let's pray. Father, thanks so much, Lord, for your goodness and your grace. And Lord, we, uh, this church has never been about hanging on to, tying people down, keeping them. Uh, We have always come as a resource church, believing that our call is to have open hands, open hearts, open lives to what you want to do and the plans that you have for people here. So Lord, we, we would love to tie them down, but Lord, we more so want to hear your voice and go your direction and release them more to kingdom business. So I pray, Lord, that you'd begin to prepare the church up there in Puyallup, Celebration Center, that there would be a sense of celebration in their hearts and lives, knowing that most likely their senior pastor is going to be joining them next week. And Lord, I pray for Stephanie and Dustin and Aurora and Avery, that Lord, you prepare their little hearts as they get ready to go. Let there be this keen sense of holy anticipation and ambition before them. And yet, Lord, let them enjoy the people and the time that continue to be around them and surround them here in this place. So thank you, Lord, that you're doing your work. And we celebrate that and give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Love you guys. Thanks for taking the time this morning. Let's give him a big hand. Well, if you would, uh, Bailey, good morning. I just thank you this morning for just kind of leading us into worship. What a great job. 
that was just uh, just a, a powerful sense of bringing us into God's presence. And thank you for that. I appreciate that. I just love our younger people when they're involved and we get to see them grow and uh, serve Jesus. So thanks. We appreciate that. I turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, I want to say good morning to all of you, haven't done that yet, say good morning to our friends online, Uh, we welcome you and we're so thankful that you would come and join with us this morning and kind of take this spiritual journey with us, we're all in different places, but we come to the Bible because we're committed to it as God's word and his revelation to us of him and what he has for us. We're going through the Beatitudes, the values of Jesus have to do with his kingdom and and his pathway to his kingdom and living in his kingdom. And and he says that, you know what, when you live by these, follow these, understand these, it's going to bring happiness and joy and blessing to your life. I I have a book on my shelf by Jamie Buckingham, a really good book. Uh, But he calls it, the the name of the book is The Truth Will Set You Free, but first, it will make you miserable. (laughs) And I I love that because when when people read the Beatitudes and as you hear them, you may think, wow, that's going to be really miserable work to have to work through. But I'll tell you, I guarantee you, I promise you that as you take them step by step, they really do bring great freedom and great joy to your life. The first attitude, be attitude that he talks about is to realize you're spiritual bankrupt. I mean, you you have a need for help. You can't take care of everything on your own, especially salvation and the ultimate joy of spending eternity with God. You need him. The second attitude is to mourn. The pathway to this relationship with God is to repent of our sin, to come clean. No excuses. These first two steps just really, uh, we have to admit our inadequacy and our need, which is really something difficult. For a lot of Americans, really for a lot of people, but especially we have such an Americano Christianity. The third attitude is one of renewal and realization that once we understand our weakness, it leads us to the source of strength and our personal adequacy, which leads us to submit to the person of Jesus Christ and to give our lives over to him and to follow and submit to him. And that's the one we're going to be talking about today really is the third step. Uh, the story of this uh, truck, uh, a pet store delivery driver. He was taking his, he was driving his truck. He's going down the road and at every stoplight, he'd pull over, he'd get out, he'd take a two by four out and pound on the sides of the, of the wagon, jump back in and he'd take off. He'd get to the next light. He'd get out with that two by four and pound on it again. People are watching him driving and thinking, what in the world's going on? This went on for a little over a mile at each stoplight. He would just pound on the sides with a two by four. Finally, he got out one time. One guy goes, Hey man, what are you doing? What's going on? How come you keep pounding on the sides of your truck? He says, well, listen, I got a one ton truck. I got two tons of birds in here and I got to keep at least a ton of them in the air all the time. I thought about that because I think that's so true. I love that because isn't that how so many of us feel in life? We're living one ton lives. Some of us are here. We really want to lighten the load. We want to lay down that two by four that we carry around to beat the sides of our life and our circumstances. Some of us, we beat ourselves. And some of those things have to do with power and control that we feel are so important to live with in our day and age. 
But we're going to talk about that today. I don't know about you, but as I've gone through these again, I'm, 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 I'm so challenged to remember that these aren't one-time beatitudes, like, okay, checklist, checklist. They're like a daily reminder of how to live for Jesus and in his kingdom. So let's pick it up in Matthew chapter 5, and we'll just begin at verse 1. It's not that long of a passage. It says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And then he began to teach them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit who are bankrupt. They know they need God, because the kingdom of heaven becomes theirs. The rule and reign of God in their lives becomes theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, because they know they have sin and they need to repent because they're going to be comforted by the love of God and the grace and the power of God. And then today, blessed are the humble or the meek, for they will inherit the earth. I want to talk about that one today because it meek defined. A lot of your trans, some of your translations will say meek, some of them humble. There's a couple of different words. There's a number of uh, translations, and it all encompasses the same thought. But when you think of meek, you've got to understand meekness is not weakness. It doesn't mean wimpish and weak. Remember who's speaking these words, Jesus. Now, Jesus was gentle. He was kind. He was compassionate and loving. Uh, but, but he wasn't the little pretty boy, you know, little little pretty boy that everybody makes him out to be in the movies, you know, where you see him with the long, glowing, flowing locks and with this kind of gone to glory look. He was a man's man. I mean, what do you think? How in the world would he be able to attract people like Peter? I mean, imagine going up to Peter, this fisherman, and going, hey, Petey, want to hang, babe? You want to go out? You want to, you think we could change the world? No, he gave a clarion call and he spoke into men's lives. I mean, he was able to relate to a fisherman like Peter who was all over the map, emotionally, physically, a real man. He was able to relate to a couple of guys called the sons of thunder, who they were just ready to call down fire from heaven. He was able to relate to spiritual zealots, political zealots. Uh, he, he was a man's man. But Matthew 12, 19 and 20 says that in all of his strength and all the power that he manifests, he never argued, he never shouted. He didn't break or abuse broken people. The only time we see Jesus really get fired up, I mean really fired up, is when people were misusing his father's temple and they were ripping people off in their worship. That's when he went in, and obviously he did a pretty manly thing, and he started turning over tables, and, and birds are flying, and stuff is going all over the place. He said, you're not going to dishonor my father's house, and you're not going to dishonor my father. And Jesus went in there and just turned the tables over. See, weakness is one with strength, but no control of self, according to Jesus Weakness is one with strength, but no control over themselves. I want to just tell you a quick little illustration story, and then it'll kind of tie in as we go along. But I went to Idaho before my freshman year in high school. I had a friend. His name was Greg, and uh, we lived in the same um, 
uh, manufactured home park and we were really good friends and his family had friends over in Idaho that had a ranch and so he says hey you want to go with us because we'd go there and we'd bale hay that's all I ever did with Greg, bale hay. We baled hay in Wyoming. We baled hay in Idaho. But we went there for about a week, and we were helping this family bale hay. Well, we got there the first day before we started working. Uh, they had horses. And uh, so they, they come out, and they said, hey, you guys want to ride horses today? And so Greg and I uh, had a daughter that was really cute and um, about our age. And so the three of us went. Well, before we went, they're getting the horses ready. And they asked me, well, have you ever r- rode a horse? And I kind of mumbled something like, well, yeah, like, yeah, you know. And kind of like I had. It wasn't a total lie because I've rode the merry-go-round horses, you know, <laughs> where, where you grab the ring. And that, you know, that wasn't too difficult. So I figured, okay, I can handle this. So they saddled these horses. And now they're not little Shetlands or anything. They're big. They're mad. They're beasts. And so we get on there, and I'm riding with both of them because both of them have ridden horses before. This was my first time. So we're going along, and we must have gone, I don't know, a couple miles and hanging around. And finally, Greg, my friend, kind of gives me the eye like, why don't you just get an assistant? Why don't you just head back? Because he wants to, you know, make the move on this friend. And so I took the hint. I'm a guest. So I said, okay, I'll go back. Now, I've never ridden a horse before. These, this horsey that I was on had two horses with it. Now, all of a sudden, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm doing. And I turn around and I did, you know, you know what they do in the Westerns? They, <laughs> you know where this is going? Okay. This, this horse was named Bullet, I think, because it took off. And, and I am trying to pull the reins. I'm trying to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. And this guy or gal, I don't know what it was, but it was just going like a bullet. And it was, it was I, I didn't know where it was going. It went off the path. It went into the weeds. I thought, man, it's going to break its leg. And I mean, it just took, I could not get control of this horse. And I'm not kidding. I was scared because I'm thinking I'm going to get bucked off. I'm, something bad's going to happen. It's going to fall on me. And we're going and we're going. And finally, we come around this bend and I see the house. The only silver lining to this whole thing is that horse knew where to go. And when it got there, one of, their, uh, one of the owners met me at the door and was just screaming at me. Because he said, don't you know? So when you, you, I guess you got to kind of like work a horse slowly to the, to the place where you're going. You don't want to just run it and then be done with it. And my says, <laughs> Wasn't my call, man. <laughs> this guy just took over. Got it home. And uh, I was so glad. Can I just tell you, that was power out of control. See, meekness, and I'll come back to a horsey story in a minute, but meekness is power under control. It means to be humble. It means that you're an instructed one. It comes from the word pros. It's an ethical word, and it just don't, denotes all those things, self-control, humility, that you're, under, that you're instructed or you're under the submission of another. That horsey was not under my submission. There's some biblical examples. We have Abraham in Genesis chapter 13. And I talked about this some time ago, but you know, he didn't grab and use his position and his power to take from his nephew Lot. He basically relinquished and said, you take the best. You give the best land. Didn't use his power to overtake or to, to overcome somebody, but he released it and relinquished it. Moses 
He's considered the meekest man in the world at that time. Why is that? I believe it's because he didn't retaliate. He's pastoring this really difficult people called the nation of Israel out in the desert for 40 years. And he just never retaliated. He just keep going to God. God, what are you going to do with these people? What have I got to do? Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty nine, one of the great descriptions of him, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle, I'm meek, I'm humble in heart. And you'll find rest there for your souls. But why is this attitude of meekness, humility so important? Jesus says that meekness is part of experiencing his blessing and moving toward happiness. If that's what he says, can I just tell you, I want to tap into that. I want to experience that. I want to have that part of my life. And here's what I have to ask myself. Am I the kind of person that's really meek, that's humble, that doesn't retaliate, but I have a sense of order and calm? It's up to you, Lord, about my life. See, the meek, they relinquish control so that they can gain control. Now, this is a paradox, but it's really interesting. In Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, <clears throat> it's really one of my favorite stories because there's so much texture, so many layers to this story. But just quickly, there was a demon-possessed man. He's living uh, in, in, in the graveyards of, of Gerdine, and, and he's harming himself, and he's uh, unable to be contained or controlled by the people around him, and the people are living in fear in his community. Jesus comes. He speaks a word to him, and he delivers them from being controlled from demonic influence. Powerful, wonderful story. See, that's Satan's M.O., loved ones. Satan wants to do that. He wants to control your lives. Now, I'm not talking about we're being demonically possessed or anything like that, but there are things that God, excuse me, that the enemy of our soul puts before us, and he wants to see us come under his control, the way that we have the decisions that we make. But see, Jesus comes, and he says, I want to bring freedom. I want to speak my word to you so that you can live in total freedom What's interesting is, is after this guy, he's been controlled by the enemy of our souls, by the demonic possession. He's been in total control of that. And as soon as he comes out, it says that he's sitting there clothed in his right mind now, and all these people are in awe, and Jesus is standing there. So what does he say? Jesus, I want to go with you. I want to travel with you. I want to be an evangelist. What does Jesus do? I don't know about you, but I would think, all right, man, join the club. Let's party on. Let's get going. What does Jesus do? He says, no, this is what I want you to do. You now have a sense of self-control. And I want you to go back to your town, to your village. And I want you to share and show the great things that God has done in your life. See, I think... I believe that he wanted to go from the control, he moved out of the control of the enemy, to now he's probably looking for Jesus to control him. And Jesus says, no, that's not what I'm about. Galatians 5.22 says that one of the delectable fruits of the Spirit is self-control. See, when Jesus frees us, when we begin to work through these passages, here's what happens. Jesus says, I'm going to give you control, self-control back for your life. But see, we have some hindrances to all of this. There's self-sufficiency. 
we usually like to do things our own way. And one of the problems with self-sufficiency is simply that it's, it's due to pride and the belief that I really am in control and that I can handle whatever I'm facing. Proverbs 29, uh, 23 says that a man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. The meek. Isn't pride kind of costly? I could give you some examples right now, but I won't go there at this point. But it's, it's, it's costly. It's interesting how, how many men and some women, uh, they won't ask for directions until it's kind of like a what? A last resort. I have to. I got lost in, of all places, Concord. About two months ago. This is, I, I, I'm supposed to meet somebody for, for dinner. A couple, and Trina was there. And... It was, it was right by to Toto Santos Park. I literally, I drove by it twice. And I didn't know where I was. I mean, I knew I was at Toto Santos Park, but I couldn't find this place. And do you think I'm going to ask for... So I, I kept texting and said, I'm on my way, I'm on my way, I'm trying to find it, blah, blah, blah. And, and I finally got there. But you know, it was 45 minutes late. They'd eaten all the chips and the salsa and, you know, and I don't blame them. But that's how we kind of operate. Their pride is such an interesting thing. It's just so much easier to lose our way than to ask. We don't like admitting that we're losing our grip and heading into a free fall and to a significant dose of pain that ultimately will get your attention. Isn't that so true? It's amazing how pain will provoke us to refocus. But sadly, it can be too late sometimes. It can be too late to salvage a marriage. It can be too late to rebuild a relationship. It can be too late to rebuild trust. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, the humble, who realize they cannot control their life with their own power. It just won't cut it. You need God's power. And you need God's grace. And, and here's the truth. And, and I think this could be for somebody here today or maybe even somebody online. As long, as long as the Lord is one of many options, it's really no option at all. And you will never be able to tap in to the power and blessing of his life as long as you're prideful versus being meek, being humble before him. Self-sufficiency can really hinder that. Uh, the fear of loss, having to give up. People struggle with giving up control and to submitting to the Lord. You know why? I think a lot of us were just really afraid that God's going to say, I want you to empty your pockets. I want you to give me everything. I want you to sell your house and I want you to go to Mozambique. And we kind of have that deep-seated fear that that's how God's going to operate with us. Uh, but usually he doesn't. He doesn't do that. Some people think, well, you know, if I really give it all over to God and submit to him, I'm going to become this weird fanatic Christian. No. If you do, that's your call, not God's. See, see no one's, we say this, no one's going to control me. Who are we kidding? We're controlled by people all the time, what they think. We're controlled by people's opinions. We're controlled by our hurts, our habits, and our hang-ups that we won't release. We're controlled by our parents and how they raised us. A lot of, uh, raised us. A lot of us are controlled by our kids. 
See, we all choose who we're going to be controlled by and what kind of control we're going to have in our life. Jesus takes control of our lives and delivers us, but he always gives control back to us. You're not here today because you have to be. You didn't wake up this morning and God made you come. You're here because you're in control and you chose and said, I'm going to go to church today. See, the meek learn to respond humbly to the Lord. Here's a question for you. Do you respond to the voice of God? Do you respond to the voice of God? See, he's talking all the time through his word and through his spirit that would reside in us if we're a Christ follower. And if we're listening, you're gonna, you know why it's so good to listen? Because if you listen, you're going to be blessed. You're going to experience greater happiness. You're going to have a better direction for your life. You're going to be a meek person. You're going to be a humble person because you realize you can't figure it out all out. It's one thing for him to speak to you, but the key is, is how do you respond? A lot of people are incredibly educated. They know the scriptures. They understand the Bible. But a lot of people stop at gathering information and knowledge, and they think that that's where it ends. Instead of understanding that Jesus always calls us not just to know the word, but to be transformed and to be changed by and through the word. Psalm 25, 9 says this, that the humble, he guides in justice, and the meek, he teaches his way. Why is that? Well, because meek people, we know that God knows what's best for us. We know that God knows what is right, where I need to go, the best way to go, the best way to get there. And when I live this way, guess what? It will always be for your blessing and to bring glory to God. But a lot of us have a hard time really believing that, buying into it. But Jesus, he gives us instructions and he leads us to hear and to respond to his leading because that's what meek people do. It doesn't come, I don't know, you, most of us would understand this, but it doesn't come. His, his speaking to us doesn't come as some kind of ticker tape in the morning. Okay, here's your to-do list. I'm going to have you do this. I'm going to have you do this. And I'm going to have you do this. He doesn't send us a daily agenda with a, from a bluebird from heaven. He simply speaks to us when we're listening. He speaks to us in the morning when we're reading his word. He speaks to us. He gives us thoughts. He gives us intuitive things that always sound like the Bible. Not King James, not New American Standard, not an NIV, but you know that it's in there. And it's going to be in your language. It's going to be in your common language. And then you begin to make decisions on his word and his voice because they will never contradict each other. See, this is how the Lord speaks to me. He says, listen, TR, I got some options for you. I know you want to do this. I know you feel like God, you're like, I'm calling you to do this. But here's the options. Now there's road number one. It looks good and it's all right, but it's really not the one. It's not the best one. He say, but there's another road over here that you've been looking at and this is really the best one for you. It's the least appealing. It's sometimes the hardest at first, but it will bring the greatest blessing. And then he says, and you're looking at this road over here, this third road. 
It's really appealing, and it'll be all right for a while, but it will cause you trouble. And then you know what he does? He steps back. He goes, okay, big boy, make your decision. I've given you some direction because he is not going to control me. He is not going to control you. Because when I talk to people, that's what they always say. Oh, I just wish God would make it so clear. He doesn't always make it clear. Because what he wants you to do is to lean into him, to trust him, to become a person of meekness and humility that says, God, I really do. I need to hear your voice in this. I need to hear your directives. And then he says, okay, whatever you do, make your decision. And guess what? Once you do, you're not free from the consequences. He steps back and he says, okay, because that's ultimately how you're going to learn. Part of the joy and the privilege that I've had of walking with Dustin in this process, and I'm just really proud of him, is because I haven't really counseled him to do this or do that or go here or go there because there's been another possibility on the table that I really thought he might take because it was easier. But here's what he did. He took the harder way. He took the more difficult, what what was the more difficult path as you look at everything and laid it out. Why did he do that? Because he said to me, I feel like this is what the Lord is speaking to us. And I love that because we don't like this, but can I tell you something? When you come to those times, those crossroads in your life, literally crossroads, God will almost always lead you to take the most difficult way because he wants you to trust him. He wants you to grow. Why does he do that? Well, that's what Jesus did. You'll see in the scriptures and the gospels a number of times, it says that Jesus was headed toward Jerusalem. Why was he? Because it said he set his, his face and his eyes and his vision and his purpose for Jerusalem. Why? Because he knew that's where he was going to go and die. He took the way of the cross, the hardest way. And see, loved ones, a lot of times that's what God does with us. He says, I want to see, I want to develop some humility. I want to develop some meekness in you. See, being humble and being meek and building on these other building blocks of God's kingdom and values, it's really about seeing life as it is. We begin to see God for who he is and we begin to see ourselves for who we are in this big narrative called life. And it's where we come. And if you're a Christ follower, If you haven't come to this place, it is so imperative that you come to this place where you know, you got to know and hear his voice. Experience his touch, experience his guidance, because that's really the sign of becoming a meek person. See, meek understands submitted availability. Now, here's a question for you. you. When you come to decisions, do you wait for instruction? I mean, you just say, Lord, okay, I want to hear from you. Isaiah 30, 21 says that whether you turn to the right or to the left, I love this verse. Your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. It's almost as if you're walking and you're going and you're going to take a right and you're going to, the Lord, that's it, that's it, keep going. Trust that, look to that, believe in that. I'm leading you, I'm guiding you. Have you ever been around someone who you ask a question to and they just kind of look at you? And, and they wait. I got a friend, this Drew, uh, moved away, used to attend here. He's one of those guys that ask him a question. 
and you just kind of look at me. And by the time he would start to answer, I would jump in because I was thinking, man, this guy's really slow or he's not, you know, something that you're kind of, kind of short-circuiting in there. And I'd step in and then as soon as I stepped in, he would start to give his answer. And it was this awkward moment. It happened all the time with him. And finally, Drew, why do, you, why do you wait so long? And he says, well, you know, because when I answer too soon, a lot of times in the past, I give the wrong information. I thought I knew the answer, or I might not give the best information. So what I've learned to do is just simply wait to hear the Lord. And I think, wow, what a great thing. It's one of the things that I'm working on right now as I've been going through this, is if I'm in a small group, if I'm in a group of people, you know, it's so easy for me just to say, well, here's the answer. Instead of saying, Lord, I want to have some meekness. I want to have some humility. I don't want to jump in with what I know, but I want to begin to hear what you know and speak what you're speaking. I noted earlier that this word pros, one of the meanings of it is just power under control because somebody is instructed. When they're instructed, they're able to move in the power and the dynamic of God's spirit because they're submitted to a higher power, in this case, to God. Uh, one of the meanings of pros is simply a stallion that is trained for war. They didn't have saddles back in that day, so they would have these very subtle movements to be under the control of the rider. They would use their reins, they would put them on one side of the horse or the other, and how they did that gently would lead it to go to the right or to the left. Might touch its neck, they might say something, or they might just go... And that would mean something to the horse. They were under the power. They were this incredible, powerful beast that were under the control of another. I remember when I was a teen, we'd go to the Canby Fair every year. And they also had a rodeo. And, you know, the clowns were great. But you know what I've really found so impressive was these horses. Called cutting horses. And you would see them and they would have these cows out there and they would go in and they would cut one out and they would, they would move around and they would try and keep it from going back to the herd. And it was so impressive because you got these beasts that would just, these horses, these stallions, these steeds, they would just, they would simply stop on a dime and they would cut it back and they would turn around and you didn't even notice the rider hardly. What was he doing? He was just kind of using those reins, speaking into its ear giving a, and yet that horse was totally, this powerful horse was totally under the power of the rider, the control of the rider. Biblically, linguistically, that is the best picture of meekness. And when you come to the place that Jesus has so much control in your life and that when he says turn here, stop there, go here, do this, and you begin to respond to that voice, you'll know you're becoming meek. See, this is what the world says. It says you go through a difficult time. The world says retaliate, fight back. You've got to win at all costs. But you see, you and I live at a different level. We have a higher authority. And if we are listening, he will say things like this, don't retaliate. I want you to bring my love. I want you to bring my grace. I want you to bring my power. And you begin to move in such a way that people understand that you're someone that's under authority. You're someone that's under control, even though you're not being controlled. 
See, that's what meekness is. That's what biblical Jesus humility is. To be a meek person means you can wait on his word and you're going to move at his command. Oh yeah, you're in control. But you're going to be moved by the love of God, not by the things you see and hear in this world. I mean, isn't it true? Don't people just left and right demand their rights today? But the meek people, the humble people who follow God are going to lay down their rights like Jesus did, who become obedient, Hebrews 12 says, to the point of death, even death on the cross. And then he goes to Gethsemane, and what does he do? Oh, God, if this could just pass. But then all of a sudden, the meekness, the humility of Jesus says, uh-uh, uh-uh, I hear your voice, Father, not my will, but your will be done. I've learned in my life, and I've learned in watching others, you really can't lead until you're willing to be led. You can't really have self-control until you're submitted to another. You really can't rise above until you come under instruction. Now think about it. If a dumb horse can learn to come under the control of a rider, isn't it possible that you and I, loved ones, can come under the voice and the submission and the power of our God and believe that the Lord can speak to us and instruct us and keep us from running here and running there and going all over the place. The greatest value and blessing of our life comes as we are available and submitted to Jesus. I've seen a lot of people with incredible gifts, great skill sets, but they say, I don't want to be controlled. I don't want to submit my life to anybody. The Lord can do great things with a submitted life. When you listen to his instructions and you're available, it doesn't take much of a person, but it will take all of that person to follow Jesus and to make a difference in your relational orbit, in your world. The meek are going to grow in strength and courage because it takes courage to do those things. It says that they will inherit the earth. You know what that really has to do with this? No longer will the earth and its fears and concerns dominate you because you know who you're following and you know who's instructing you. (laughs) And you know who dominates this earth. Would you stand with me? I want you to take just a moment and I just want you to think are you a person that can hear the voice of the Lord I've talked to some people in recent weeks and a lot of people say well I'm not really sure and I probably need to address this here in the next season but Um, God's speaking, loved ones, and I'm not talking about some kind of mystical, you know, flow from heaven, but I'm talking, you know, if you want to hear God's voice, read the Bible. You want to hear God's voice, spend time in his word, because that's who and what he's going to sound like. And I want to encourage you 
That's where you're going to begin to hear God's voice. Because then as you're going through your day, as you get up in the morning, you're going to begin to hear things like, you know what? I want you to go here. Nathan, I want you to do this. Rick, I want you to stop that. Bob, I want you to call this person. And you're going to think those things are just like, oh, those are just my thoughts. Really? Since when do you have a lot of good thoughts? I don't. So anything that comes good into my mind, I go, that's got to be the Lord. And a lot of times if it's hard, I go, yeah, that's got to be the Lord. Because he loves me, wants to grow me, wants to mature me. And that's where we are, loved ones. I want you to pray this morning and just to yourself for a moment to the Lord by yourself and just say, Lord, would you, would you make me a candidate? Would you bring meekness and humility into my life so that I am hearing you speak to me, lead me, guide me, experiencing your life and your grace in this day and in this season? It's not easy, but oh, Jesus says it'll bring blessing and happiness. Maybe you're here today and you've never received Christ. You've never made a commitment to him. I encourage you today to make a choice. Cross the line of faith. Let somebody know. If you say, Jesus, I, I, I want to hear your voice because I'm not handling it on my own. My self-sufficiency has not cut it. My abilities to handle my life uh, and control my life, it, it just isn't happening. And so maybe some of you today, you need to make a decision to say, Jesus, I choose you. I want to follow you. I want to submit my life to you. If you're online, you can do that just by clicking the hand in front of you. If you're here today, you can just say a prayer. Say, Lord, I submit to you. I want to hear your voice. I'm going to choose today to follow you. Would you take a moment and just pray? Heavenly Father, we come today, we thank you for Jesus, your son. The Lord, he mentors and models for us. He mentors us as he models for us how he listened to you. I only do what I see the Father doing. I only speak what I hear the Father saying. He got up every morning and he received his marching orders from you. That's why it says that Jesus was meek. He was tender. He was so in control because he was under your control. And Lord, give us that kind of a life that as we go through our day, we're not kind of bowling through it or moving through it and thinking, I've got this, I've got this. And we come up with just our own to-do lists, which are nothing wrong with those. But Lord, let us take time as we're doing our list that we say, Lord, what would be your list to put in this? And Lord, I pray that we would be a church that as we go forth in this incredible season, that we'd hear your voice and begin to minister to and to touch people in Jesus' name. We thank you for that today, Lord. Thank you that you're such an incredible example of meekness and humility. And Lord, let that envelop our lives. And I pray this over our church. We give you thanks, Lord, for your love and grace. Amen.